and welcome to episode 94 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Monday, July 11th, 2022. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How's it going, Courtney? All good. It's midsummer, and I don't know, it doesn't feel like summer yet, but you had some summertime. I did. We went on a family trip back to New England, to Boston, where Simon's family is from. Boy 2 had a voice camp where he was studying voice for two weeks and singing and improving his craft. And the rest of us hung out on the beach and saw family and enjoyed warm weather and sunshine. What's that? I know, right? Cool New England thunderstorms, a couple of really good ones. So it was really fun. And then we got to go into the city once a week and watch him the other child perform. So it was delightful. Wonderful. And now we're back hanging out. Back in the fog. And all the the joys of daily life. (laughs) That's what we've been doing, so. And uh, this episode will be all the joys of a regular episode. On the needles, on the easel, on the table, and on the nightstand. And of course, bingo. Uh, So let's jump into it, because I was on vacation, so I have A decent amount of crafting and reading. No cooking. I have some reading this time. Oh, good. More than than I have been reading, which feels good. Cool. All right. So on the needles, no progress at all on my rainbow sweater, which is kind of sad, but I knew it was going to happen because we recorded and then I pretty much just started packing and then we left town and I did not want to take a whole sweaters worth of yarn with me on an airplane and whatnot. So that has been put to the side, but now I am back. And so hopefully I will finish that up soon because I don't have a lot to do. I did go through and figure out the numbers for the yoke. You have to attach the sleeves and then continue knitting up and do the yoke and the the collar and and all that fun stuff. So I am am getting prepared for that. That will be soon. What I did knit Finished the Pentrose Ring Hat by Knit and Kristen, and that was in the Leading Men Fiber Arts Pullworth DK in the colorway Tainted Love, which is a delightful tonal bunch of cranberry red, and was so pretty, and I think was possibly too tonal for the pattern, but I don't care. It looks it looks gorgeous. It was a really fun hat pattern. Hats are just delightful, also because they go so quickly. This one was no exception. It has some ribbing, and then you use some slip stitches to make some texture, and then some more ribbing, and and then the crown. The decreases make rings, thus the ring hat, and there's five sections of them, thus the the pent part of the pent rose. And since you do it, I think we do it three times. You make the rings, so it looks it looks kind of like a flower. So it was really fun. I'm very excited about it. And it was, it's nice to have a quick win while you're on vacation. Although, of course, since it was in the 80s, I did not wear it very much except for the five seconds to take a finished object photo. My husband was very confused as to why I had put on this hat. (laughs) Like, I need you to take a picture of me in it. So that was amusing. And I did get a a different background than I normally have for my, my finished objects. So that was, that was fun. And then mostly what I worked on was two different pairs of socks because very portable for all of all of everything I was doing. I could take it down to the beach or while we were talking with family or driving into the city, you know, during some of the concerts. 
first pair I was working on are the Geek Socks by Wei S. Leong, which I think was in Knitty several years ago and I have made before. And they are a fun way of working with self-striping yarn. And the yarn I used was from Fiber Nymphs Dye Works, uh, her bounce base in the colorway You're Mermazing. So it's kind of a mermaid theme. It's got two stripes, two big stripes of green, one light, one dark. Then two smaller stripes of pink, one light, one dark, and a stripe, a small stripe of yellow. Very bold and exciting and fun. And then it also came with two mini skeins, one in the light green and one in the light pink. And so I'm using those for the cuffs and the toes. This one, you also use slip stitches and it makes the stripes look more like waves or in my mind, mermaid scales. Fun. Yeah, so it's just a little bit, it's not complicated and just makes it a little more interesting when you're knitting. Every time the color changes, you start doing these slip stitches and just zazzes it up a little as we like to do. So I've been working on those. I finished the first one and I am past the heel on the second one. So I just have the foot to do. So those should be done quickly. And they're very summery. And you know, since it is summer in the city, I might actually get to wear them. And then the other one I've been working on because I wanted something more complicated, the Dead Marshes Socks by Claire Ellen. And That's this is a fun name. It is Lord of the Rings reference. Mm -hmm. um, it was a whole collection that she did that I bought. And so they're all Lord of the Rings themed. I don't think I've made any of them yet, even though I bought it a while ago, because they are more intense pattern socks. So not just mindless knitting. And so the yarn I used for this is from Sincere Sheep, uh, Cormo Light Fingering in the color SF Summer. And it's kind of a yellowish beigey background with blobs of pink and darker yellow. And I think it was part of a... A club. So it was not a colorway that I would have necessarily picked out on my own, but I actually really like the way it's knitting up. It is working even though the the pattern is pretty heavily textured, you can still see it. So I'm excited about that. It's a wavy, almost like a helix, like a DNA helix kind of shape that waves back and forth. And then in the middle is texture and then it's just stockinette in the other part of it so lots of lots of stuff going on but uh, actually once you figure out what the the pattern is it's pretty easy to keep going and not have to check the chart every single time so I'm enjoying that as well I have finished the first one and done the cuff of the second one and then I got to the point where I had to set all <laughs> set all the repeats up and I had to stop and take a break and so I've been focusing on the geek socks mostly and I have a lot of other things coming up that I want to knit and plus finishing the sweater. And so we will see what happens, but I should have, I should definitely have some more finished objects the next time we talk. Although I guess that'll be sooner than I'm used to because we're recording this one a little bit late, but I think that's all my knitting. It was good. It was, it was, it was a lot of, a lot of fun knitting. I really enjoyed the Dead Marshes socks, just having that pattern, but because it's a sock, it's a small repeat. Easy to memorize and... Yeah, and like on a sweater, if you're repeating it, you're maybe, you know, you're doing it over whatever, 300 stitches. This is only over 64. So that was exciting and relaxing at the same time. Excellent. So that's That sounds like um, successful vacation knitting. It was. I was pleased, pleased Good. with my, my progress. Uh, what is on the easel? Well, this week I finished up a tattoo, not for me. And not, I don't do the tattooing. I do the drawing. Right. Oh, I think you would. Was this, a, is this a new one? This is a new tattoo oh, okay. 
for a friend and it is beautiful. It has a yellow swallowtail butterfly and then a line of poetry that I do not recall if it's Emerson or Thoreau and the butterfly is kind of perched on the poetry so it's a loose handwritten text block and then a butterfly. I love it. I have to let go of it. Every time that I do these tattoos for for people, I think, oh, it's got to be perfect. But really, this group is always looking for that handwritten quality. And if I relax into it, it's just better. So I'm not trying to make the kerning perfect or get the letters straight or it looks handwritten and hand drawn and that's what they're looking for. And after many years of drawing these tattoos, I'm finally relaxing into it. And they have an excellent tattoo artist on the other end who I'd love to meet someday because he's able to translate my line art and handwriting. It's not like he does an exact copy. He's very masterful with his shading. And just like I'm careful about how my pencil lifts off the page with a little flourish or something, he does his own thing with it in a tattoo way. And so I'm excited to see how that comes out. It goes on her skin permanently on August 4th. So maybe I'll post a picture of it this time because I don't usually. That would be cool. I would like to see that. Yeah, it's a beautiful tattoo. I'm excited. And then I'm working on, I have two pieces for upcoming shows. There's the pigeon show. I wanted to paint a couple weeks ago when we had that very hot weather. It was too hot to paint. The paint was drying lightning fast, which makes it very difficult to blend. I'm not great in the heat either, so I can't blame the paint. And so now that I have finished up with most of the painting, the house wall painting around our house, I'm eager to sit down this week and finish up the pigeon because I totally love it and I can't wait to share it with you guys. And then there's a show coming up called The Brushed Show and it's being curated by Courtney Cerruti and it's it's juried. So I have to submit something and then see if I'm selected for it. And I had an original concept to to paint my grandfather's hands with the paintbrushes that he altered over the years. And I realized that that was a really personal approach to the show and like, why would I want to sell a painting of my grandfather's hands or or his altered brushes? I didn't want to give those up. And so I paused on that for a while and then was really inspired by the colloquialism of brushes. When you were growing up, you know, like the marsh grasses on the edge of a field, we used to call those in the brush. And so I've been thinking about it in that. And I realize I've been talking to people. And not a lot of people use the noun brush that way. It would be like in the grass. Well, like a brush fryer. Yeah, exactly. So, although, boy, that gives me an idea too. (laughs) Uh, So my mind has been really playing with the notion of brush as a grass because I don't use animal-based brushes. I use synthetic brushes. And so I've just been playing with that in my brain. And now I have an idea to layer some brushes as the landscape and then tuck birds into the brushes. So birds, Yeah. I mean, I'm really excited and then maybe put them in a shadow box. I'm not wholly committed to the idea because I'm waiting for one more. I ordered a, a used wallpaper brush off of eBay 
to do the lower portion of the grasses. Mm. And then I found a bunch of old paintbrushes at my in-laws house. And I am super excited to see how it comes together. But I'm also, I am a-okay if this doesn't work out because it feels like a new medium, perhaps. Or I'm, I haven't done a lot of assemblage or I don't know, the, the shadow box type thing. So I'm excited to try it. And then this morning I was talking to Daria and she asked, oh, are you going to make three-dimensional birds? And then I was just going to cut them out. And now I'm thinking, maybe I should make some three-dimensional <laughs> birds, darn it. So stay tuned. We'll see if that comes together. I also have this really interesting commission that I'm doing where the Golden Gate Bridge is overlaid with the St. Louis Arch. I think I've mentioned this. Yes. This one is a little bit more challenging in that it's large scale for me, but I found a great workaround in that I taped it to a window in my house and then I can raise and lower the window. And the window <laughs> is like awesome at letting light through the back. So it's kind of also a light table. So I've been able to transfer my my sketches onto you know other versions of it. I feel like it's been sort of a win because... I've found this new way of working on larger scale as long as I don't exceed. I have some big windows, so it's not that big of a problem. And it's very fun. It's a fun way to draw and you can really stand back and get a sense of it. And clearly the art studio is very crowded <laughs> with construction stuff and oh gosh. So that's coming along too. I feel like I, I have a lot of works in progress right now and not a lot of finished objects. <laughs> So that's where the easel's at. Cool. That sounds fun. And I forgot about a studio item that I wanted to tell you about. Remember that incredible art sale thing that I did a couple years ago? Yes, we got at the that giant, elementary school. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. And I had a set of wooden drawers that I think held maybe pastels or something like that. And it was three drawers with a glass top on it. But it wasn't very functional for me because it didn't really hold a lot of paper and I don't use pastels. And so I converted it into a colored pencil drawer. Ooh. I cut dividers and made it into like six sections. And so I can fit two rows of colored pencils and three colored pencils deep. Ooh. So I have them sorted by color and then I can rifle through them and get to the pencil I need. And it feels like it's, totally gonna up the colored pencil game in my studio and I'm very excited about that and I feel like I need three more drawers because it doesn't hold all my pencils of course not. which is an embarrassment of riches but also I feel like I hadn't been using them because they were hard to get to and now they're very easy to get to well, that's good so yeah that's total worth it then. win in the organization I don't know if that was something in our bingo or not but it feels like maybe I I'll feel like maybe it was last year I feel like I should take the middle box for that one because <laughs> there's no category for it. Anyway. New technique? New tech. No, because I'm going to save that for the brushed. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. Fair. I'm plotting. So on the table, I was on vacation, so there was not a lot of cooking. I did a lot of eating of seafood because we Yum. were in New England. Lots of lobster rolls. Uh and fried clams and even had some mussels and some fried fish 
Very delicious. And actually, it was funny. My boy one had never had a lobster roll until this trip. I know. Very strange. I think we always had whole lobsters. And then more recently, we've been going out for fried clams. So he finally had a lobster roll and was like, oh, this is really good. So Yes. Yes, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Very true. So that was good. And then lots of salads, I guess. It it was my family and uh, sister-in-law's family were staying at the same house. And then there's a lot of local relatives who would come in and out. So you never quite knew how many people were going to be at dinner. It could be six. It could be 10. It could be 20. Oh, my gosh. So it's a little tricky. And we have lots of gluten-free people, a couple of vegetarians thrown in there, a bunch of us who will would eat kill, anything. Would kill for a steak. <laughs> yeah. uh, but there were a lot of us, so we could have we could have done that. So it was it was very interesting, but also lots of grown-ups to to share the cooking. And so the two of us at the house would kind of switch off orchestrating things, and then one of the the local sisters would just show up with a giant salad from her garden and. And maybe some other things like she, that that she just felt like making. So one night she came over with a green bean and chickpea salad. You know, the vegetables were all from her garden. And then she also brought a snow pea and chicken stir fry with, you know, all the things from her garden. And so we'd rifle through the fridge and see what was left and pull out some things and put some stuff together. So we had a, we had a lentil shepherd's pie one night that was delicious. And I made my kid's favorite chicken from the the Simply Julia one that I always make that went over quite well. And what else? And then I made a quinoa salad with zucchini and tomatoes from the Wimpy Vegetarian. And I kind of messed with it a lot because it I ended up making it on the night when it was really hot. <laughs> we didn't have a lot of, we had a lot of really nice, gorgeous weather, but every once in a while it would get hotter than I am definitely used to. And our beach house does not have air conditioning so I wanted to have the stove on as little as possible so other than cooking the quinoa I didn't do any other cooking though the recipe actually has you saute garlic and tomatoes and zucchini and I said you know what it's summer they're going to be fine if I just throw them in there and I added some white wine vinegar and some olive oil salt and pepper I thought it needed a little more flavoring because I just kind of did it last minute, but everyone else seemed pretty happy with it. So that was, that was a pretty fun win. So that was kind of, kind of it. It was, it was how vacation should be. It was nice. It was, it was good to have all those grownups collaborating and, and throwing things together. And the last couple of days, just trying to avoid going to the grocery store. People were like, why don't we have any food? Like, well, because then we have to go to the grocery store again and, and then it'll just sit here. So it all worked out. Excellent. How about you? I cooked. Um, Because you haven't haven't been cooking as much lately. I haven't. But like I said, things are shifting. Like we're almost done with the construction. It's been sputtering to the end here, which means that I'm getting my house back together, which means cooking is a joy again. In an attempt to redeem myself from the strawberry shortcake incident of 2019... I made strawberry shortcake again. And I can't say that I knocked it out of the park. I had some buttermilk and I thought, oh, I'll make a buttermilk biscuit for strawberry shortcake. That's not what they need. They need something a little sweeter, I think. Unless your berries are super, super sweet. 
I don't really add anything to mine. The buttermilk biscuits were edible, but they weren't delicious. <laughs> Ugh, I'm just never going to live that down. It's my own fault because I bring it up all the time. But And then for the rest of the cooking, I have been cooking a little bit here and there from snacks for dinner, which we're going to talk about in depth in our in number 95. So I'm going to hold off on those bits and pieces, but I made spaghetti carbonara, the New York Times recipe. This is a repeater for us because we celebrated an 18th birthday and that was his request. And I got to say, I looked at the Tuesday night, the Christopher Kimball spaghetti carbonara, or he has a Roman spaghetti carbonara, and his called for cornstarch, which, yeah, I don't, why? I don't know. I'm not sure. I guess to thicken it, I don't have that problem because Uh I just go a little heavier with the pecorino. I have such success with that New York Times recipe. It couldn't be simpler. I render the pancetta way ahead of time so that that's out of the equation. And then I just kind of heat it up when it's nearing go time and then blot the pancetta before I mix it in. The main course was the spaghetti carbonara. And then I found a really simple sheet pan shrimp recipe that I did for the carnivores that needed a little extra protein. And that could not have been easier. I just laid the shrimp on some parchment and sprinkled the the seasoning blend. I have a recipe that I'll link on both sides and it was 10 minutes in the oven. Could not have been easier. And it was delicious. We had a house full of boys for this 18th birthday celebration. So I also had some of that melting chicken, which is the I think it's mayonnaise and you you can use yogurt and I cut it with sour cream instead of yogurt. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And the Parmesan cheese and spices. And then you just spread it on top of the chicken and and bake it off. Super tender chicken. I think it'd be fun to add like a little bit of Dijon or something like that to it or or maybe a ton more herbs. Mm. But I cut back the sauce a little bit so that it's not super gloopy. What about artichoke hearts? Then it could oh. be like dip. Well, <laughs> I, I have my other recipe, for, not from that night, but it was the artichoke and spinach dip in quotation marks pasta. Ah. And that was delicious. It was nice. a recipe that I found online, and I so I had already used my artichokes. <laughs> the only thing that I would do differently for this recipe is add this going to shock everyone four times as much spinach because like where does it go it disappears so next time you use frozen spinach maybe that's already kind of pre shrunk shrunk down yeah and just be careful to chop it otherwise it's sort of stringy but a really delicious Mm. flavor profile and you could just all you could taste was the the artichoke loved it and then my mechanical kitchen win Since I was making the whipped cream for a strawberry shortcake, I've been noticing that for a long time that my KitchenAid mixer wasn't getting to the bottom of the bowl. Mm -hmm. And it's annoying. And I thought that I had to buy one of those paddles that has the scraper on it. Have you seen those? I had been contemplating it, but I don't know. And then I came across a little article about how to adjust your KitchenAid mixer so that it gets the bottom of the bowl, which is critical for something like whipped cream. Yeah. I have like the pro version, which means that the bowl 
you know, there's one version where the the head of the mixer lifts back at an angle. Mm-hmm. Mine, the bowl lowers and raises instead of the head moving. In the tutorial, it was for the other version where the head lifts off. And there's a screw that you can just turn a half turn and it lifts the lifts the bowl. So I figured, well, there's got to be a similar version for mine. And so I just took a flathead screwdriver. Oh, and they recommended putting your paddle blade in and dropping a dime in your bowl. And if it if it moves the dime, then it's at the right place. Yeah, yeah. But if if the dime doesn't really move or it just gets bumped slightly, then it's too high. And obviously you'll know if it's too low because it's the yeah. blade would be scraping your bowl. It only took like two tries to fiddle with it and I totally worked. Wow. I've been dealing with this problem for an embarrassing number of years, so it feels like a huge win in That's the very exciting. kitchen mechanics. Interesting. You'll have to show me where the screw is. Because I do feel like sometimes there's a little glob of unmixed stuff at the bottom. And it's really, it really, I only get irritated when it's like whipped cream or egg whites, Mm -hmm. you know, because that affects the overall product. Right. I feel like chocolate chip cookies, it's easy to just blend in or it sticks enough to make its way around. But yeah. Cool. That can be done. Excellent. Good to know. (laughs) All right, on the nightstand. Okay, yeah, I did a lot of reading. Started off with Seasonal Fears by Shannon McGuire. She is the best. Love her. This is the second book in a series, although they feel more like companion books. I think you could read them in either order, especially since I had completely not forgotten all of what happened in the first book, but a lot of the details. And there is a lovely exposition part in the middle where they go over the whole plot of the first book. So that was very helpful. So in this one, Melanie and Harry are childhood best friends, and now they are high school sweethearts. And they have been called to be the new king of summer and queen of winter which involves a very long road trip and fighting off the other claimants. There is some other uh, mad scientist kind of stuff going on. It's just fantastic. She's such a great writer. I loved everything about it. They meet up with the characters from the first book, and you get to see what's happened with their life since their story. Kind of dark, but not not tragic. It was very, so sort of creepy but it end like you could you didn't feel like it was going to have a sad ending at least i don't know i didn't and i was right so it all works out okay and then i read dark queens by shelly puhawk it is a nonfiction history book about two queens in the late 500s who basically ruled all of france germany all the way to spain crazy and you don't hear about them because you know the patriarchy but they were wives of kings who were brothers and interfamilial fighting they both end up murdered i think one dies in battle one no actually they both get poisoned so they start ruling on behalf of their sons there was like 40 years where the two of them were basically in charge of the entire center of europe and you just never hear about them. So it was fascinating. Just she had gone back into the sources, whatever she could find. And it was it was a really interesting, interesting book. So I'd recommend that one as well if you like your early Middle Ages history. I don't know the French history as well as I know the like the Anglo-Saxons in England. So that was 
Um, but there were, I think one of their nieces or something marries one of the English kings. So there was a little bit of crossover and and trying to put it all together was um, really cool, especially since I just read that book about the oh, Middle Ages. The Middle Ages one. Yeah. So trying to remember it because I don't remember them being mentioned, but I'm sure at least they're tangentially they were they must have been in there. So um, it was kind of you know interesting to put it all together. And then The Murder Rule by Dervlin McTiernan. I've read a couple of her books. She, uh, about the police detective in Galway in Ireland. This one takes place in America and was not as good. And the other reviews that I've seen by people who have read, same thing, read her previous books. This one just seems a little bit disappointing. Hannah is a law student. She transfers to UVA to work on their Innocence Project, where they, they try and prove the innocence of people who are on death row or just in jail in general. And so she scams her way onto this project because of one specific murderer that they're defending. But her goal is to find evidence that will keep him in jail. So she's sort of a, a, a double agent. And we find out why she's trying to do this. And her character was just sort of odd. And some of the, the things she did didn't quite make sense. Your mileage might vary, but this just wasn't wasn't my favorite of her books. If you want to read some Dervla McTiernan, definitely stick with her her Galway police series. Excellent, because I need another audio book. <laughs> but Scorpica by G.R. McAllister, I very much enjoyed. Fantasy book. There are five kingdoms and they are all ruled by women, uh, except that they are now entering, uh, a drought has started and no girls are being born. So obviously if women are in charge of every, everything and there aren't any more women going to be problematic and each kingdom has uh, a specialty so one uh, is in charge of magic one is in charge of religion one is in charge of the warriors one is uh, scholars and i forget what the other one is there's kind of two or three main characters that you are going in depth and learning about um, and how it's affecting the the land and them as a warrior there's battles within the warrior class and so lots of things going on very epic very enjoyable and i was very excited because i finished it and it was a series like ah, oh, i'm gonna read the next one except then i realized that this one just came out in february so i have, mm, what? You have a little seven bit months a to wait for the next one yeah, yeah so which is you know fine because i have plenty of other books to read such as Once There Were Wolves by Charlotte McConaughey, uh, which Courtney has read. Uh, this was super fun. It was not quite was I, what I was expecting, uh. but it was really fun. It's, it ends up basically being a murder mystery, but there's some environmental stuff going on as well. So Inti is a scientist and she studies wolves and she's uh, gone to Scotland to oversee the the rewilding of wolves into the Scottish Highlands. And of course, there's conflict with yeah. the locals because because wolves and their shepherds not a good combination and one of the local people ends up dead there's a mystery you know what happened was it a wolf was it a person uh, i really enjoyed this one I, again not quite what i was expecting it went off on lots of different lots of different ways um but it was a satisfying ending she yeah. also wrote migrations yeah. and i think what I really appreciate about her writing is her ser her service is in climate change and human impacted climate change. And she's, in my opinion, not wrong. 
And therefore, I devour everything she writes because I think she's really pointing the finger at us, at, at the damage that we as humans do. And I just find her writing just really, really moving. Yes. Yeah. And, I, and I think you get such a sense of where she, where the characters are and what the animals are like and what, what their lives yeah. are like in both of the books. She's an incredibly sensitive writer. Yeah. Yeah, so that one. I'm glad was you liked it. Really good. Yeah, um, yeah, I did write, read migrations as well, and, yeah. and really like that. Then the Marriage Game by Sarah Desai, which is uh, you know a horror novel. No, of course not. It's a <laughs> romance. Shocking. Layla has moved back home to San Francisco. She'd been living in New York, but she lost her job after a video went viral of her uh, throwing all of her influencer boyfriends belongings off of their balcony when she caught him cheating on her so she's back home she is going to turn her life around she is going to stop dating bad men she is going to start her own business and her parents think this is great although they do want her to get married and her dad says i've got an office upstairs above our restaurant you can use it i had rented it to some guy but i'll just tell him he can't have it things happen and nobody ends up telling the dude that he can't have the business so two weeks later he shows up Layla's there sparks fly shenanigans ensue of course and uh you know things move along so it's it was quite a wild ride and takes place in San Francisco so that's very exciting and it was good there was a lot of a lot of lot of things going on in this book other like side plots and characters Layla has a huge uh, Indian American family which is fabulous Uh, she has all these aunties who are just hilarious and then but then the love in the family is just portrayed really beautifully the relationship between her and her parents and her brother had died a few years before so the emotions that they're experiencing with that and then she just has cousins that kind of pop in and out and so Layla goes through a lot of growth that I think is really well portrayed and kind of what you feel like you owe to other people and what you owe to yourself. Same thing with Sam. He has a lot of things that he's dealing with and they both kind of work through their issues and obviously realize that they are made for each other. So that was a fun one. I've read the second book already and then there is a third book which I am waiting on at the library. Fun little series. And then Civilizations by Laurent Binet, translated from the French by Sam Taylor. Craziness and so fun. A alternate history. So what would have maybe happened if some of the Vikings who set up in Canada continued down the coast, spreading smallpox and leaving behind horses and iron weapons, so that when Columbus showed up, the indigenous people were like, whatever, dude we're just going to kill you so that Spain does not colonize North and South America. Instead, the last Inca is not the last Inca emperor because he sails over to Spain and conquers Europe. It was fascinating. It's, It's in four different sections. It almost feels like, and I think this was on purpose, sort of Don Quixote. It's little episodes. Um, it's written in a kind of, not antique style, but it, it's it's a little bit, it doesn't feel super modern. But it was really fascinating. At first, you're kind of like, oh, this is this is cute. And then a lot of it really starts to hit home. I think as much as you intellectually realize the colonization was really, really bad, reading about it, some of it in reverse is like, Oh, yeah, it was really, really bad. You kind of feel it more emotionally because 
or at least for me, because I know the historical characters uh, and what in this revised world ends up happening to them really does make the whole thing more intense. But it was a very interesting book and uh, and I really liked it. Although it's very French and has a very strange ending. <laughs> the second <laughs> second French book that I've read in what, like two months and they both had very strange endings. So my sample size of two. I, I have a French book to talk about and it also has a very strange, weird ending. ending. Okay, so sample size of three. <laughs> then I read The Absolute Book by Elizabeth Knox. So this is a fantasy epic book. It is a big book. It was 600 and some pages. Taryn is an author and she has written a book about libraries and um, the destruction of libraries and what is lost and what is saved. And one of the stories in the book is about a mysterious book called The Firestarter, which has been around for two millennia and continually survives fires in libraries. That's its name. And one of the library's fires that it survived was in her family home when she was about 10 years old. Because of this book, things start happening. She ends up looking for the book to find it, save the world kind of thing. There are a lot of subplots in this book. A lot of things keep happening. It felt like it needed to be edited a lot. Um, <laughs> like the author had all these great scenes that she envisioned and she wrote them and then put them together in a book. I mean, there is, there's a murdered sister. There's a contract killer. There is uh, a book tour. There is her ex-husband's fabulous house on the Norfolk coast. There's fairies, there's demons, there's, I mean, there's so much, so much going on in this book. And it was, it was interesting, so it was interesting, but there was a lot and I felt we kind of lost the main storyline every once in a while. And I would have liked, I would have liked to have it just be a little bit tighter and more together, but I stuck with it through the end. So that says something. And then Cold Earth by Anne Cleves that I listened to, book seven in the Shetland series, uh, there is a big landslide that takes out a house near our main detective's house, um, and everyone, but it's supposedly empty, so everyone thinks, oh, it's fine, you know, no one was killed. They go to check it out, and a woman's body is found there, but the coroner determines that she was murdered, of course. So I'm telling you. It's dangerous. It's not safe in the show. It is not at all. Uh, yeah, this one had some surprising <laughs> twists and turns that I was not expecting, but good like all the other ones are. And then last but certainly not least, Bomb Shelter by Mary Laura Philpot. Nonfiction, a kind of memoir. The, the jumping off point is uh, when she finds out her high school son has epilepsy. He starts having seizures, and so they have to, to find out what's going on. And so she starts thinking about, um, you know, sudden changes, family, how can you keep them safe, anxiety. Her father worked at a nuclear bomb shelter that would protect the president and uh, during the 50s. And, you know, so uh, there's lots of back and forth and different thoughts she's having about family. And I think for me, it really resonated because her kids are right at the same age my kids are, more or less. And so she's kind of the same age as I am. So we have a lot of similar frames of references. Um, so it's just a really beautiful expression of what a lot of what I am going through as well. I'm not generally a memoir kind of fan, but this one was just really beautiful, well-written, kind of funny, 
and also really moving. So, you know, you'll laugh, you'll cry. It was, it was really good. And, and her son is about to go off to college. So as I said, lots of, lots of similar feelings and emotions to what I am currently experiencing. So I would, I would recommend that nonetheless, but especially if you do have kids in high school and are going through the whole college process, because we certainly all have a lot of anxiety lately. (laughs) Yeah. Excited, but yes. Yeah. Yeah. That is it. That's a big stack. It was. Good stuff. Okay, I have I have six. Oh my goodness. Me. I listened to White Nights, which is book two by Anne Cleves. You're getting to book four. I know. I'm just, I'm trying to read to book four because as Monica spoiled for me a couple weeks ago, that that's a real bird heavy one. So I feel like I need to work my way into it. And it's also an excellent listen while I am painting ceilings. Which is a very rewarding, but literally backbreaking kind of a chore. And listening to the Cleve series, the Shetland series, is pretty enjoyable. So Monica talked about book two a couple weeks ago, so I won't really go into depth with it. There was a couple points when I lost track of like how old these people were. Because at some points they felt really young, but I think the flashbacks, I wasn't paying as good of attention because I was painting. But I loved that one of the characters in it was a writer. I love that one of our main characters who's stuck around from book one is a painter. The painter talks about her process a little bit, and she's in a relationship with our main inspector, who's not Gamesh, not a Louise Penny inspector, but he's pretty fun all the same. I had a har- a little bit of a hard time picturing these, the manse that they kept talking about, where the main, where most of the drama happened in mm-hmm. and around. Because when I was looking at pictures of Shetland to paint for last week, they were, you had sent me a picture too, croft houses, stone, low slung, super humble. So I need to go back and look at what a Shetland manse might look like. The drama took place in the past, and then the ramifications and the murders take place in the present, and they're just trying to piece together this whole puzzle. I didn't see it coming, and I I remember when it was sort of revealed, I remember standing there with my paint roller, what? So that's fun. Anyway, White Knights and Cleves, good listen. Okay, then I have Birding Without Borders by Noah Stryker. This one I mentioned a little while ago because I picked it up. I thought it was going to be slow going, but when I really got into it, I couldn't stop reading. This is a story of, I think he's about 26 or 28, and it's a, it's a memoir-ish, or, you know, it's nonfiction. And this young man is on a pursuit to see half the world's birds in a year. And so he plots a course around the world for himself, hooking up with local birders and local birding communities to the most populated bird pockets. It is so fun. I really, if I could have had my druthers, I would have stretched this out and then painted each bird that he, he didn't talk about all 5,000 birds, but there's a list in the back and he talked about the highlights, but I would have loved to have painted the highlights as they came up, but then you know, he's in Peru and all the birds in Peru and it's so amazing. And then he goes to Costa Rica and oh my gosh, all 
It's fabulous. I love the whole thing. I thought it was really great how there was another birder who was following his story, but also wanted to do the same thing and then beat him the subsequent year. Mm. And so for a lot of it, you know, whenever he mentioned this other young man, it felt like the kid was really competitive about it. And our writer was, he was in it for the journey. Yeah, he was trying to reach a goal, but I think he also really appreciated the journey. And I loved seeing that character arc. It surprised me. So, Birds Without Borders, so great. Then I read Secrets of the Clouds by Allison Richman. I think this must have been on somebody's summer reading book list. This is a story about a teacher who is paired with a boy who has a terminal illness. And so she she's asked by the district to go and tutor him once a week in his home because he has a heart defect and he it's hard for him to be in a school situation. This was a really tender book and it made me think about kids who have vulnerable immune systems and how the pandemic has changed their schooling situation and how really fraught that must be for those parents. And we have friends who've gone through similar situations like that here in in this school district. So I thought it was a really empathetic book and it was an important perspective. And there was a lot of music in it. The teacher's father makes violins. And I loved hearing that about his craftsmanship and how she built a relationship with this boy who wasn't able to be in her class. And there's some baseball and it was really sweet. Then I have three whoppers for you. The first is The Mad Woman's Ball by Victoria Moss. I thought this was in translation. I think she wrote it in French first and then translated it herself. Hmm. But now I can't find Interesting. if that's true. So this is a slim novel about late 1800s in France when if you were an uncompliant or eccentric woman and society didn't have a place for you, you were often sent away to a sanatorium or something like that because it was just easier to deal with you if you were a hysterical woman who had thoughts and opinions. Don't we all? Uh Uh-huh. So we follow a few characters. There's one character in particular that we follow into the sanitarium where she's betrayed by her brother and her father has her committed because she sees dead people. No big deal. But anyway, other people are there for really mundane reasons, like they don't like to cook or general uncompliance. Don't want to get married. Yeah, I I just saw that when I was um when I was looking up to see if who the translator was, I spied that there was a movie and it's newly newly released. So this has some weird threads to it, and the the creepy part. It's like a psychological thriller, I guess. There's this ball that happens once a year where the general public comes in and they have like a ball at the sanatorium where the women who are committed get all dressed up and mingle. And it's titillating for general society, but it's the only highlight for some of these women who I also have to say, some of them have been abused and that is why that they're in a sanatorium because they haven't had proper mental health care. I mean, there are a million reasons why these women are in there. Some of them frankly just like it and they're perfectly normal. I think it is such a slim 
little read that it's fascinating and I think people will like it if they get their hands on it. I don't really want to spoil too much of it because I I like to be surprised sometimes. Okay, then I've got True Biz by Sarah Novick. This was a book that I found through Book of the Month Club. This is a story about a community. I think they're like in Ohio. They are part of a deaf school. I have a kid who learned American Sign Language in high school as his second language. And it has always been fascinating for me to see how the deaf community defines itself and talks about things. And so I really gravitated towards this book. And I found the book to be as vast as as you can imagine. There are some people who are children of deaf parents. There are some people who come from a long line of deaf people in their family. There are some people who see deafness as a disability and some people who see deafness as not a disability. And there's a spectrum across the board. And I think that that's really important to remember to that they're individuals and everybody wants to control their own definition of this. I totally appreciate that. And th- this book, what it brought to light for me, this is a high school situation. Some kids had been raised signing. Some kids had been raised lip reading. Some kids had some ability to hear. Some can speak and some cannot. Uh, Some can vocalize and, and not. And then some kids had a cochlear implant. And I did not know the history behind the cochlear implants and the quiet, well, this book portrayed it as quietly rolling back the politics of the cochlear implant and that there were many deaf people who were opposed to it. And then there were a lot of recalls with it that they did very quietly. Anyway, all to say, there is a lot going on in this book and it is fascinating. And and while I am tempted to use the bingo square read about a person buyer about a person with a disability I don't think that that's fair because or I should change it to differently abled instead of disabled which I think we should do anyway because I feel like this group of people felt very empowered by their skill set and their language and they were very proud of it so anyway tremendous read it's super thought-provoking and I can't wait for my ASL speaker to get home so that I can ask him questions about the there are lots of interludes where they're signing and the illustrations are in there and I thought that that was equally delightful and Hmm. lots of interesting bit and pieces and then my last book was The Change by Kristen Miller Kirsten Miller and if you are a little bit irritated by decisions that have been made in our country and this is a book for you. This takes place in the Hamptons and it's middle-aged witches. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's not what I was expecting. So the change is referring to menopause and the power that can come with menopause. Excellent. Yes. It's really refreshing. So there are three witches. They don't call them witches ever at all in this book, by the way. This is my own vernacular, but I kind of love it. I love that noun. So one of them has a a gift of sight, one of them has real power over nature, and one of them is a protector. The gift of sight, she sees spirits, and spirits who need to be seen for a resolution, 
And then the one with the power of nature, she's really into the botanical arts. And her garden is bananas in the HOA in her neighborhood is fervently trying to get her to mow. And (laughs) it's great. And then the protector owns a gym called Fierce Fitness. And she runs really hot, which personally is kind of relatable right now. Okay, so that's the fun part. The not fun part is that there are these girls who keep going missing in the community and nobody's really looking for them and the police aren't helpful. There's a whole pocket, this enclave that the locals can never get out to. It's the culling point. And so it's like super wealthy people. And I have to say, not to pluck from the headlines, but it feels kind of Jeffrey Epstein-ish. And so these girls keep going missing, and the one who can see sees some clues. And so they have to bring other people along with them on their mission to help resolve what's going on. If that sounds intriguing, I promise you the payoff is kind of kind of good. Excellent. I'm... Yeah, it's a new book. I, I just sort of love the menopause empowerment bend to it. I'm and... waiting for my magic powers. <laughs> yeah, same. Anyway, I can't recommend this enough, my friends. I thought it was it was a true romp of a read, but it also made me go and look up what other kind of witch books are out there that I have missed over the years, you know, that aren't just practical magic and Three Witches of Eastwick and and, and our favorite one there. Discovery so, of Witches. Yeah, Discovery of Witches. Anyway, we'll get we'll get there. Stay tuned. More witches to come. Excellent. Who knew that was my genre? All right, bingo. Began Friday, May 27th, and will run through Monday, September 5th. So you have plenty of time to participate if you have not yet started. So much time to enter. All you need to do is post a photo of your bingo card with completed row, line, or diagonal, either on Instagram with the hashtag CCRRSummerBingo2022 or on the Ravelry thread in our Ravelry group, in which case you do not need the hashtag. And that's it. You'll get an extra entry for Fabulous Grand Prize if you do a blackout. And we have our first bingo just posted this morning, I think. That cute frog. That's so adorable. Knitwise09. Yay. She's been very chatty over on the Ravelry thread as well. So where where did she get her bingo? Through the middle. I mean, uh, well, yeah, through the middle. Diagonally across, yep. diagonally down, fr- up from, from the bottom to the, from the top to the bottom. Yeah, so she had several super cute crocheted items, little animals. There was, uh, we talked about the the mother goose earlier, and then there's a frog. I'm really happy of... that she took advantage of the make, yes. the ability to make and yep. get a bingo. And she did a double batch as well. Oh, that, that's not on, is that on that? Or that um, was just it's a separate bingo thing. card. Yeah. Um, and so she has, she has a lot. I, yeah. It was very, very exciting. Yeah, so there will be grand prizes, lovely prize pack that we're putting together. And we also have uh, chatter prizes. So if you post on Instagram anything or come talk in the RAV group and post there, we'll be having two prizes from Jennifer Lasson Designs. She has donated three patterns so two of them will be our chatter prizes and one will be in the grand prize and you will get to pick uh, any one of her knitting or crochet patterns that you want. So that will be very exciting. 
And there have been some other good posts out there on Instagram, and, and but and I, and... yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you guys so much for playing along. It, it yeah, it's been it's super fun to see them show up. And guys are so creative. It's amazing. I love that frog. Yep. So I, uh, new technique was my, my tart crust from last, I think. I didn't, I didn't, it did not yeah. connect the dots last time. And are we allowed, I mean, because you have it as a crafting one and this is a cooking one, but oh, yeah, again, go. we're in charge of our bingo. So I'm making it a cooking one. I started a new project, which was my rainbow sweater. I guess that was also last time. I had two local reads this time, Seasonal Fears. Uh, they go through Berkeley and the marriage game takes place in San Francisco. Three books all in a row had characters with a disability. So Murder Rule, Marriage Game, and Once There Were Wolves all featured people with mobility issues none of them were really main characters they were sort of felt like it was kind of in service to the plot so i can sort of check that off i feel like there are better better options out there they were there to be normal people and help the main character realize that you don't need to coddle people with mobility issues like people can can do things on their own they can figure that out so it was there it was just it was interesting that like three books in a row there was yeah, someone there. So I, I, just having the representation there in general is great, but not quite what I want. And it's all about me, obviously. I, I have a, like I said when I was re- talking about True Biz, I have a similar sticking point with that. I think it's, I think we should just call it differently abled. Yes. And don't fret about what percentage of the book we're talking about. Just, I guess we're just aiming for awareness, right? Yep. So I think I will. I, I don't know. I have another book that might fill that square, but I really just want people to know about True Biz. I'm so excited about it. Yeah, that's cool. And then I have I have to double check on my book in translation because if she translated it herself, does... Uh, no, there's someone else listed in, in oh, Goodreads. Oh, okay. Thank yeah. you. So that's The Mad Woman's Ball by Victoria Moss. And then I thought for sure that I had something else, but I know that I haven't been brave with color yet. And I certainly haven't finished anything. <laughs> so I I'm just gonna let I'm gonna let that lie for now. Nice. Well once there once there were wolves was a you recommendation. So oh, I got super. that one. Make local my dead Marsha socks are with sincere sheep yarn and they are I mean Sonoma is I'm calling that local. Oh yeah, that's local. Um, Strivable. And that one I'm excited. Oh, and that one actually is from a club from a year or two ago. So that counts for my personal New Year's resolutions or goals. Um, so that's that's kind of a twofer. And then Civilizations was a work in translation. So I can count that. And Brave with Color, my mermaid socks are very bright and cheerful. I'm so glad. I feel pretty good about that. Yeah. I, so, I can't but wait. No, no, no actual bingo yet, I don't think. Oh, no. I can't wait oh, no. to talk about... Um, I need to do some cooking. That yeah, is what is holding me up. Fun with appetizers, because I have definitely yeah. been having fun, but I feel like I can't write it down until we talk about it. Very true. That <laughs> is true. Yeah, I guess I've been doing that one, too, and the three recipes from one book yeah. as well. So yeah. next time is going to be very exciting in terms of bingo land. That's right. Yeah. So next time we'll talk about... Volger. Snacks for Dinner. Snacks for Dinner by... Lucas Volger. Excellent. Looking forward to it. And yeah, and keep bingoing and make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye.
show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf, that's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.